0: This is the Photo Experiment Podcast,
1: brought to you by PhotobizX. Hey, it's Andrew Helmich here from Impact Images, and welcome to this episode of the Photography Experiment Podcast. I know you are absolutely going to love today's guest, Pi Jersa. He is one of the most creative and successful business operators and photographers I've ever had the pleasure of interviewing, and he shares a ton of in today's episode. Now, before we get into that, you might be a little confused as to why an episode of the Photography Experiment podcast is popping up inside the PhotoBizX podcast feed. Now, I've been known to make the odd mistake (laughs) over the years of recording the podcast, but I've done this intentionally for a couple of reasons. The first one is I haven't been doing much with the Photography Experiment podcast and I really don't want you to miss this interview with Pi because I'm sure you are going to love what he shares. The other reason I've added this interview onto the PhotobizX podcast feed is it really is straddling the fence when it comes to a business-focused podcast and an interview focused on creativity. Inspiration and education all wrapped into one. So, as much as I didn't think this fit perfectly into a Photo Biz X episode, there is definitely a business flavor. And the whole idea of creating the Photography Experiment podcast was to have a way to record interviews with inspirational photographers or artists without having such a focus on business and trying to extract something from them that you can use in your business. Now, that happens by default in a lot of those interviews, as it does in today's interview. But I wanted a chance to have a little bit more freedom with my interview style and not having to feel the pressure of digging for something that you can necessarily use in your business as opposed to just tuning in and being inspired by a guest. So that's that's why I started the Photography Experiment podcast. Now, the other reason is because I was constantly getting approached by sponsors, other businesses in the photographic industry who wanted to sponsor the PhotobizX podcast. And as you know, if you've been listening for any length of time, I do not have any sponsors on that podcast. It is 100% purely supported by the PhotobizX members. But it's those sponsors that do make it possible for me to be able to record the Photography Experiment podcast. So for today's episode there is a fantastic sponsor involved that I would love for you to check out. It's USB Memory Direct, and these guys create the most fantastic USB drives you have ever seen. If you can think it or dream it, they can create a USB drive to match your vision. No matter your brand, no matter your logo, whether you have a mascot or you stand for something or believe in something, they can create a USB drive to bring your brand to life. I'm going to tell you more about them a little later in today's episode. And with all that being said, let's get into today's interview with Pi Joseph. I recently asked inside the PhotobizX members Facebook group for suggestions of creative photographers to interview for the podcast. Now, past interview guest Tanya Goodall-Smith suggested I talk to Pai Jerser, saying that his new course and all the fun he's been having on TikTok would make him the perfect guest. So trusting Tanya's judgment, I invited Pai for an interview. And since setting up the recording, I did some investigating to learn more. And holy wow, my head is spinning. I checked out Pai's photography website to see the most incredible studio space. And trust me when I say you will be blown away when you see it for yourself. A team of over 30 staff, amazing photography, plus I learned that Pi is not only the founder and partner of Lynn and Jersa Photography, a boutique Southern Californian photography studio with an incredible team that shoots over 300 weddings each year, and they have nearly 1,000 yearly client commissions. He's also the founder and partner of SLR Lounge and the creator of every workshop and every resource inside the SLR Lounge library with nearly a million monthly readers. I'm rapt to say that Pi is with us right now. Pi, welcome to the podcast.
0: <laughs> that was uh, one of the best intros I've ever gotten. I appreciate that very much, Andrew.
1: <laughs> well, my, it's all true. And like I said, my head was spinning once I, I did a bit of looking around. Tell me and the listener about the studio, and the staff that you have there.
0: Yeah. So, well, it's kind of been an interesting year to say the least, but normally in, in regular years, we have about a 10,000 square foot building that we purchased about three years ago and it houses kind of our, our team of, you know, we have a significant size team for support staff of lineagers and photography clients and then we have a full-on production space upstairs where we film our content, our tutorials, and then we have like an entire gallery and client service area. So it's really all of our businesses kind of in that one space.
1: Right. And then I mentioned staff, you mentioned staff, and I know everyone's experienced 2020. How has that affected you and your staff?
0: Oh, it's 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 been brutal. I mean... Um, So half of our business is really weddings and events. The other half of our business is online education. So online education this year has been our, I mean, really that's my focus most years, but this year we've really ramped things up mainly because weddings and events are shut down. So here in California, there's very strict COVID-19 rules and guidelines, which interestingly enough, a lot of venues very much adhere to, a lot of them don't. But in general, most of our clients are rescheduling, pushing back. So this year, our support staff has been incredibly busy, but not for the reasons that they would normally be. It's not scheduling new shoots. It's not, you know, it's not sending the team out to existing shoot. It's literally rescheduling everything on the books. So it's been a crazy year on that side.
1: So what has been your stance if a client says, well, hang on, my reception venue is happy to go ahead. So we're going to run with it. We're going to have our wedding. We're going to have our event. We want you there to photograph it. What do you say?
0: Yeah. I mean, for the most part, if our team members are good to do it, then we have been, you know, shooting. Granted, um, yeah, it's kind of like along with all the vendors, we go in, we try and be as safe as possible. We wear our masks, we wear our face shields and we maintain our distances and just hope for the best kind of. And so far, so good. Like none of our members have come back, um, at least as far as I know, none of our team members have come back, you know, with COVID or anything like that. But it's a risk that pretty much every single wedding vendor is taking when it's forced upon them. A lot of them have no choice. Like they don't have, we're, we're fortunate enough to have two revenue streams in our company, the online side, as well as the client side. We kind of built out and diversified our revenue streams a while back in case of something happening. So this year, we really fell back on that. We actually have three revenue streams this year. And this year, we fell back on the other two. But a lot of other vendors aren't so fortunate. I mean, this was something that's very difficult to plan for, if not impossible. So they're left having to take these jobs because they don't have another choice. So they have to somehow keep their businesses afloat.
1: Yeah, it's frightening. So you just mentioned three streams. What's the third stream revenue stream?
0: So we do online education and then we just launched, it was actually October of 2019, we launched Visual Flow presets. So we develop uh, very unique Lightroom-based presets that are profile-based and developed on lighting conditions. So we do a statistical sampling of different lighting conditions to actually create presets that essentially work.
1: Right. Right. Got it. So are you behind all these things as well? Or is your little niche, is it the online education only?
0: Yeah. So most of it is I'm behind most of it. Um, on the lineagers side. I'm basically the creative director on that side. So my job on that side is really to maintain the studio style and to develop the education to support that style. And then on the SR Lounge side, my job is to develop the educational products as well as all the free content that we create for our YouTube channel, as well as our partners. And then Visual Flow, that is kind of my product baby in the sense of like, you know, I've been rethinking the way that we edit for a very long time. We don't have the resources to go out and develop our own Lightroom substitute from the ground up, which is something that I would want to do. And I would want to do completely different but we don't have the resources to do that so instead i'm kind of working within those limitations and saying how close can we get to an automated development system inside of lightroom so visual flow was born of that process but essentially everything that i'm creating is all supporting existing you know businesses like visual flow was designed to support uh post production needs so you know processing 2 million images a, a year we run into tons of different issues that people don't really see. And so from that perspective, we can develop tools in a way that nobody else can because we're on the ground seeing such a large quantity of images. And similarly on our educational side, all of our education is actually the training manual for lineages of (laughs) photography, like from picking up a camera to learning lighting, to directing communication Every single one of our our pieces of education are frameworks for how to learn how to be creative, how to learn how to light, how to shoot, and then how to run a business. So, what I'm kind of focused in is just creating all the tools and products and things that we need ourselves.
1: Right. So, that's how SLR Lounge was born. It was you creating a manual for your own team.
0: Exactly. And it was intended to be just that until one day we were like, okay, there's 50,000 people on this site a month. We might as well see if we can sell some of our, you know, our education.
1: And that goes against a lot of what most photographers, you know, I guess, stand by where we want to, uh, we want to hold close to our chest, our style, our editing style, the way we shoot, our locations, the way we light, the way we pose. Whereas you're putting it out there for everyone to basically copy your team style. Why would you do that? I mean, apart from financially.
0: I mean, yeah, you know, so I feel like everything that we do, you can eventually learn, piece together and do on your own, honestly, mostly through free education and probably through, you know, Amazon and some books and stuff like that here and there. Granted, you know, putting together all that knowledge on your own takes years. So what we've done is we've created a YouTube channel and we've created various platforms. And I'm, I'm happy to give away education all day long, because even if you were to look at our education and try to piece it all together in a way that's kind of cohesive it would take somebody years to do. Whereas inside of Lunch Premium, the way that that content is formatted and the way that I can design it is a step-by-step framework that goes from point A to point B and you can jump in anywhere on this kind of roadmap and just start running. And so it's an accelerator. It takes somebody you know if it would have taken 10 years to become you know a master, you can do it in one to two. So what people are paying for is really having everything all in one place and having a a curriculum that's designed to walk them through step by step, as opposed to trying to like blindly search online and look for, you know, a YouTube video here and one there. And honestly, in many cases, you can't even search for things that you don't know. Like if you don't know lighting is your issue, you don't even know what to look for in the first place. So I get asked that question a lot. Like, why do we put so much free education out there and why do we do all this And it? In my opinion, you know, if someone's going to be successful as a photographer, they would be successful with or without my help. So it really doesn't matter if I can help them along that journey in, you know, through our freemium content, like our free education, then great. If they want to accelerate that, that journey and kind of go at a faster pace and they're, they want to subscribe to our premium content, then fantastic. But either way, they would have gotten there anyway. So it's kind of... It's this weird fallacy we have. like We think that just because we hold our secrets to our chest, that A, they're our secrets, and B, that other people can't learn them. And it's just not really accurate or true.
1: Yeah. So what happens if you hire a new photographer and they come into the team? What kind of standard do you want them to be at? What works best for you in your studio?
0: What's worked best for us is... Honestly, we've had a lot of photographers come in who have tons of experience, you know, professional experience. Some of them have run their own studios, run their own companies. Um, Yeah. I should say studios companies makes it sound like something crazy. Like they run their own photography studios and they eventually decide that they want to shoot with us. Honestly, what's better than that is usually finding someone that is an enthusiast that has some experience. But really what we look for more than anything is has a great attitude towards learning. Um, The attitude towards learning piece is something that I can teach somebody virtually anything about this profession from the creative and technical components of photography itself to lighting, to communicating, to, to the business side of like how to sell. I can teach all those things, but it's really difficult to take somebody that has a, really crappy attitude and to teach them (laughs) how to have a good attitude (laughs) for sure. So, so like it's been easier for us to bring in people that are less experienced and to train them from the ground up. Sometimes it's from the ground up. Sometimes it's, you know, they're midway, but it's the attitude piece that is really key. And I, I would say the best balance has been attitude first with some experience.
1: Yes. Okay. So do you, have you ever encountered that the problem or the issue of you know someone coming in, they have a great attitude, they learn, they soak everything up like a sponge, they become your perfect shooter, your perfect photographer, and then they go out on their own. They go and set up their oh, own yeah. business. I mean, that must be a frustration if it does happen.
0: You know, we want people to come in and stay three to five years. In three to five years time, they can learn enough to be successful on their own some of our people will choose to do that some of them like we have plenty of of team members that have been with us for almost since inception since we started hiring we have team members that have been with us for almost 10 years so it's really up to them in terms of you know what they want to do what we frown upon is when they come in and try and soak up everything in 6 months and leave and it's honestly not even because they're going to be competitors it's just because it's difficult. It's difficult for us to spend so much time looking for people, you know, interviewing, hiring, and then to have to do it again. But the flip side of that is like, I don't know if other photographers realize just how difficult it is to run a business. I mean, we're so worried about giving people all of our secrets and letting people come in and learn what we have and then for them to go out and do it on their own. First of all, if you've been with us for six months you might've picked up a few tricks here and there. You might've learned, you know, how to shoot. You might've learned one aspect of the business, right? And the aspect of the business that you most likely would have learned is the technical side. You're a better artist after six months, but you have not touched the business side. You have not touched the marketing side. You have not touched SEO. You have not touched website. You haven't touched any of the other 90% of what makes our business successful. Now, if you've been with us for five years, then you've probably touched a lot of those things enough so that you can go out and you can be successful on your own. If it's your desire to run a business, like that person still has to want to take on the burden of every one of these things on their own as they go out and launch a business. And frankly, most of the people that work with us, they don't want to do that. And every now and then a few of them will, the ones that have turnover, are the ones that think they know it all in six months. Yes. <laughs> and we watch them leave and it's like, okay, good luck. Like, like, bye. And they can't get anything off the ground because what they quickly learn is that the artistry was one small piece of a successful business.
1: Yeah. So it sounds to me like if someone does stay part of your team, that they will actually learn the whole business or a big portion of the business where... Speaking personally, in my business, I always thought it was the best idea to teach the photographers to shoot and then teach the office staff how to do all the other stuff, the marketing, the advertising, the SEO, the blog writing. So I kept those two things totally separate. It sounds like you don't follow that same ideal.
0: So some of the things that we do are are separated. Some of them are very much intertwined. So for example, once somebody becomes a, let's say a lead photographer, At that point, they really have to be heavily involved in the planning process of the shoots. And the planning process for us begins with the actual initial sales consultation. So we have visualization exercises and planning exercises that are developed to get down to the core of like what a client truly values. Because if you ask them what they're looking for in a photograph, they can't describe it. And whatever they show you are just pretty pictures that may or may not have actual meaning to them. So we develop these different exercises and visualization kind of they're, they're literally visualization exercise. We call it the wall art visualization exercise. And it begins at the sales consultation and the photographer actually has to go through that with the clients. So once they become a lead photographer, they start learning the sales process. They start learning the process of identifying values. They start learning the process of like planning around those values and developing a timeline and scheduling and, and handling all that. But in terms of like SEO, yes, that piece is, is going to be separated from their education. But what is tied together is the client servicing pieces. You know, they, and if they frankly want to, we have a lot of team members that kind of cross train in different areas of the business. So they're shooters, but they also have a Monday through Friday role.
1: Right. I got it. Got it. So am I right in thinking that if a lead shooter meets the client, they take them through the sales consultation They help with the timeline, designing the day. They're there on the wedding day. Are they then doing the album sale session as well?
0: They play a part in it. And so that visualization exercise carries on throughout the album design process. Again, it kind of depends on where their interests are. So we have a couple of photographers who are very interested in the album design process and they're photographers and they handle album design. But anybody on the team can learn the process. They can kind of look and step in and see what are the images that are actually being selected out and going into the album. And we do a lot of kind of training to just show them what are the images that people actually print versus what are the images that you just think are cool.
1: (laughs) Right. Okay. That's important, obviously, in the album design process. So, am I correct in assuming that with your business model, you still are relying, uh, I don't know how heavily, on an upgrade, an upsell of album pages after the wedding?
0: Not at all. So most of our revenue, those types of things are usually bonuses for us. So, you know, it's icing on the cake, but most of our model is designed to be priced and paid for upfront. Just because that, at least on the wedding side, that's the business model that creates the least amount of friction with clients. So on the portrait side, it can be different. You know, you can, you can, Price for like an IPS model, and that's typically expected on the portrait side. But on the wedding side, it's it's a bit different.
1: Right. Got it. Okay. I want to get into creativity and TikTok in just a second, but just staying with the business side for just a minute, is the portrait side of the business a big part of the business?
0: No. For us, portrait side is just again another kind of icing on the cake. And once again, we primarily focus that model as well in terms of a boutique model that charges upfront. So we'd rather you know if an IPS client or if an IPS photographer is going to make uh, an IPS being in-person sales, I assume most of your listeners kind of know, but it's that model of making your session price super low. So it's 50 bucks, hundred bucks, 200 bucks to get a sitting session, but then they're buying each print, they're buying each product. So usually with that kind of model, like a typical sale might be between, you know, it could be anywhere between zero and let's say $5,000. So let's say a photographer averages $1,500 to $2,000. We'd rather just charge $1,500 straight up for a portrait session. And so that's kind of the model that we focus in on is we just charge a healthy amount and we give clients a design experience, but they're not forced to do anything
1: with it. Okay. So why do you take that approach when, I mean, I talked about your studio. I mean, anyone that walks through your doors will be blown away, will be expecting to be spending money. I mean, surely that that traditional, let's call it a traditional IPS model would work amazingly well for you guys. Why not use it?
0: Yeah. The only reason is because Linendjursa is a wedding. So from the wedding side, most of our portrait clients are former wedding clients. So on the wedding side, it's primarily like we shoot for the album and the album is built into the packages and it's a pay upfront process. So it's virtually impossible. And we actually tried, it's almost impossible to retrain your clients to a different model. So when they expect that we're coming in, we're going to pay an upfront price. It's easier just to present and give them the right package than it is to say, okay, now on the, on the portrait side, this is going to work different. You know, on the portrait side, we're going to do it this way. So if we were just a portrait photography studio, then you can run the IPS model strictly. But given that we're mostly wedding, it doesn't really work so well. The psychology is difficult to get over.
1: Got it. Got it. And you mentioned Pi SEO a couple of times. Is that the number one way that prospective clients are finding you to book you or to book your team?
0: No. So we... I have two business partners. One is Justin, one is Chris. And Chris's job is to focus on marketing and lead generation. So Chris has a multi-pronged approach to lead generation, which includes SEO. It includes some amount of, of kind of, you know, online pay-per-click advertising, not like going with the knot and that kind of stuff, but pay-per-click advertising. And a huge part of it is through existing referrals and vendor relationships so we create relationships with venues, with vendors, we help them, support them. And then we also ask our existing clients. So it's almost like this kind of bucket system where everything is divided out. Like one third is going to be SEO. One third comes from vendor and venue relationships. And one third is coming from referrals. Um, that, that would leave me with no buckets left. So let's <laughs> divide it in 25%. And then the last bucket would be the, uh, the kind of paid advertising.
1: Okay, so paid advertising isn't that big a portion of, of the lead generation. So should I assume, or am I, am I making a mistake by assuming that with your referrals, there's an incentive behind those referrals? Are you offering incentive to get referrals?
0: Usually not. I mean, we we try to you know give gifts and, and things like that to clients, but usually we're just we're aiming just to create really great experiences and create great relationships with our clients, and that kind of takes care of it. It feels like you know, as soon as there's any form of credit or monetary compensation, people kind of think differently about, you know, referring and they start to think of it more of like is this worth my time to do something whereas like we we really want it to be relationship focused. Right. So we don't worry about that stuff too much. If we have vendors who want to create some sort of relationship, we look at that and see, you know, is this in the client's best interests or should we just kind of leave it as is and usually we just kind of leave it as is and say it's in the client's best interest to just simply refer who you want to work with and and who you think is good
1: right so with the vendors then is the main objective for you and the team to get on the preferred vendor list and then obviously build that relationship by offering you know giving them photos after a wedding and making it easy for them to market you and themselves
0: correct correct we're very you might you might say we're very loose with our photographs. <laughs> uh, we give our photographs out and we allow our vendors to use them however they'd like. And getting onto a preferred list is great, but I think people don't realize that there's a lot of opportunities to network with vendors and venues in ways that are less traditional. Like we do a lot of styled and designed shoots, and we'll pull in, you know, if we see a very talented up and coming florist who doesn't have a lot of business yet, we'll pull them into that style shoot and say, Hey, why don't you be a part of this? We're going to make sure that you get credit and printed everywhere. And so we'll pull people into these like little style productions and these shoots to create content for ourselves, but then also for each of the vendors that are involved. And when you can be a kind of pivotal part of, and again, it's, it's looking at which of these vendors, it's not just going out and haphazardly saying, Oh, you just started your business. Let's get together. It's looking and saying, "Hey, look." I can see that you're good at what you do. You're new at this, but you're good. And so you're elevating them by bringing them to your level. There's no reason to go out and just be like grabbing everyone who's just launching a business from despite what kind of product they're creating. So the goal is that we find all these different vendors who create really great products, who create really great services, but that need a little bit of a boost. And if we can be part of helping their business, we have relationships that go back almost a decade where to this day, they're like, you know, the whole reason that I'm doing this is because Lineagers helped me to get started. And all we did was said, okay, we recognize that you're good at this. You're probably going to be successful already. Let's help you along your way and create a relationship out of it. So that's been a, a key piece in developing those vendor relationships is, is styled shoots and creating content that works for everybody.
1: When you go into a shoot like that, you're uh, you're networking, you're working together with these other venues. Do you have somewhere in mind where these photos, these images are going to be used?
0: Yes. So every time we do a style shoot, we generally know what we're aiming to create, where we want it to get published. And at this point, I usually, so once I've selected my planner to kind of work with, I just tell him or her like, like look, we've been published in plenty of places already. Where would you like to be published?
1: <laughs> nice.
0: And it kind of like, it does a few different things. It kind of takes the relationship dynamic and it kind of in a, I don't want to say, uh, you're not boasting, but at the same time, it's kind of a humble brag, right? Where it's (laughs) like, you know, we're good. How can we help you? So it kind of puts this power dynamic into, you know, this is where we're at, but at the same time, this shoot is really about you and we're servicing you. So they might say, you know, Grace Ormond is where I want to be. So we'll literally plan the entire shoot around getting published in Grace Ormond, and to them that's like, "Wow, that's incredible." For us, it's like, "Well, we need to create content to market anyway." So, and now I, I have the luxury as well. Now, in the way that we've built our business, is I'll take those same style shoots and I'll film them and I'll use them for educational content. So it's kind of like I just got to be out shooting. You know, if I can shoot and service my vendors and my relationships. I would much rather do that than just go out and create random photos that stay on my hard drive. So we plan the shoots around what they want to do. And I'll actually consult with them. I'll say, okay, so your existing clients are not, you know, they probably aren't going to go for this kind of image. Do we want to tweak it? Who do we want to market to five years down the road? Who are the people that you want to be getting? And they'll say, this is, you know, this is the look and this is where I want to go with this. And I'll say, okay, well, then how about we adjust this a little bit? How about we do the shoot in a field? where we can get that beautiful, soft pastel light. We can shoot, kind of have a light film look to the images. And we'll go for this, which is very much more like a, a style me pretty type of look versus Grace Ormont. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's kind of helping them to hone their marketing message. And you're, you're servicing them. The whole time you're serving their business and their interests. And those are things that people don't forget. People tend to forget. Like if I was like, oh, refer me, I'm going to give you 300 bucks people forget that stuff. Like that doesn't matter to somebody. Yeah, true. What matters is, is kind of what you're doing for them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I love the way that you have built or structured your business in that, you know, you can shoot for Style Me Pretty or Grace On Mine. It doesn't matter because you're offering all these different styles to your clients. So you haven't put yourself in one little bucket either, have you? I mean, you can shoot in any style and find a market for that style.
0: Yeah, we have, I would say Linear so definitely has a signature look. Maybe 20% of our clients come in and they want us to deviate from that look a little bit. And if they're, you know, if if we see them as a good client and, you know, it's not going to be like, there's a difference when they come in, they say, this is my style board and this is what I want to create versus like, hey... Uh, so I really wanted to hire so-and-so, but they were busy. So I ended up with you guys. And <laughs> right. like, that's not the one that we'll take on and be like, but 20% of our clients are really great clients. They want to work with our brand, but maybe they have a little bit of a different idea for their look. So a lot of times we'll design the style shoots to kind of fit that 20%. And it's, it's a very consistent 20% at this point. Like most of it is what I described that kind of filmic, bright, airy look, that, of our clients will just want. So we'll shoot for that look on occasion. The other thing is if you're creating content and you're doing TikTok and you're doing like different things, you know, you're on Instagram, if you're creating education and content, really my only rule there is just interesting photographs. So if if I can't use images on the wedding side, I can always use it in education. So that's the, the kind of nice dual benefit of doing education along with the photography side.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Let's switch gears here. And sure. let me bring you back to something you said earlier that you can train a photographer or any photographer, I think you said, to be creative. Now, I'm sure the listener, when they heard that, they're like, hey, you can't teach creativity. That's like you're either born with it or you just don't have it. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that?
0: Oh, that's probably one of the five statements that makes me want to drop the F-bomb. <laughs> That's, that's how passionate I am about that statement. I feel like there is nothing that could be further from the truth than people being born creative. I believe that, you know, there's no denying genetic disposition towards something, right? You can be genetically disposed towards being more athletic to, you know, being better with numbers to, and certainly you can be genetically disposed to like being more creative, but anybody of average intelligence, I can train to be creative. And that's the majority of us. If you have, because I believe that I have average intelligence. I mean, my art teacher in high school told me to quit because I wasn't good enough. He literally said, you really are pretty bad at this. And I'm actually good at this. And I still have mail to make a living. I suggest that you quit. And so wow. I did. And I didn't pick up a camera until I was 30 years old. And when I was 30 years old and I was shooting, like my images were garbage. They were horrible. And this is 10 years ago, you know, 10 years ago. But the only thing that I knew when I was 30 was that, hey, when I actually put my mind to something, I've been able to learn it. I've been able to learn languages. I've been able to learn business. I've been able to learn, you know, go back to school and and graduate with two degrees and get, I've been able to do all these different things because I've been focused. Whereas in high school, I was just told that I was dumb. My own father said, you know, you really aren't going to make it into college and you have no chance. So you either go and do this two years of service work thing, or you go in the military, but college is not for you. You know, so this was who I was when I turned 18. And the only difference was a shift in perspective that happened when I turned 21. It was through that two years of service work that I did that I had a complete shift in perspective, learning that, hey, if I actually focused on something... I can actually learn and it wouldn't be another 20 years till I I was clinically diagnosed with ADHD 4 weeks ago. Like this is when I actually find out today what was, you know, going on. Right. 25 years in my in my childhood. But knowing that, like this was the disconnect for me. Everyone literally just thought I was stupid and so they would tell me that. Wow. And I believed it. And when I was 30, I was like, I'm going to pick up a camera. And my images were garbage. And if you looked at those images and you were like, you want to be, I told friends and family that I'm going to be a professional photographer when I was putting out these shitty photos. Like if you saw those photos, you'd be saying the exact same thing. You're like, I don't think this is for you. This is really bad. But the difference that a couple years can make is dramatic. And for me, it took probably three years because I focused every bit of my time towards this goal, but I didn't have good training and good education, but now I've created the education that I wanted. So now I can take a photographer from nothing. And within three to six months, they can be, you know, successfully shooting incredible images, shooting second for big weddings for me, like, like $20,000 clients, they're good enough to shoot second. And within a year or two, they can start shooting lead. So Yes, I fully believe that creativity, like anything else, is this muscle that just needs to be trained.
1: Well, let me rephrase it or ask you in a different way. If I learn lighting, I learn off-camera flash, I learn some tricks, you know, with reflections and uh, and shooting with you know into puddles or using phones and mirrors and you know, creating great-looking photos. Does that make me creative? Like, am I creative now because I know the techniques?
0: I think it puts you on the path, right? So yes, in short, I would say if you learn enough of those techniques, it makes you creative. Because if you just learn a few of those techniques, then you kind of just know a few tricks here and there, right? Yes. But at a certain point, you start realizing what these techniques are. And as you learn each of these techniques, you start adapting them into what you like and how you shoot. And you start taking these tricks and they start becoming kind of, part of the natural way that you look at the world at that point, you are no doubt you are becoming a creative. So it's really a matter of how much it's, do I know a few tricks or have I done this enough where I can start speaking the language? If I were to, you know, if I were to kind of bridge this into, uh, I have several passions. One of my other passions is MMA. So mixed martial arts.
1: <laughs> really?
0: <laughs> yes. I lo- <laughs> so I love jujitsu and I'm a huge MMA fan. I do jujitsu. And so you, you watch some of these professionals, like, let's say there was this recent fight where this guy strung together the most ridiculous kick ever. He's in the UFC. If you guys go look him up, it's uh, Buckley. His last name is Buckley. Anyway, his foot gets caught by the other fighter. He jumps off the foot that's on the ground, does a spin and kicks the other fighter in the face to knock him out to the floor. Now, this looked like the most creative and artistic thing. And if you just saw this one motion, then you would just you'd be like, oh, my goodness, you are straight out of a video game. You fight like a god. But what you don't see is the 20 years of practice to string together this motion of things that went and happened in the moment. He knew what to do. It wasn't that like, you know, yes, there is, there are certain, you can say genetic dispositions, like, you know, your athletic prowess and maybe certain ways that you think and stuff. But what people tend to dismiss is the 20 years of preparation beforehand. And I, I kind of feel like it's that way with almost everything. People will look at my photographs now and they'll say, oh man, you're super creative. I just wish I was creative. I'm like, dude, we all literally start in the same place. In fact, my spot where I started was probably 10 times worse than yours. I can show you.
1: (laughs) Okay. I totally understand what you're saying. So let me ask you then, do you feel creative? Because you've learned all these, these tactics, these strategies, these techniques. Do you yourself inside feel creative when someone tells you that you are creative?
0: Not per se, no. I feel like I've learned how to speak a language, but I don't. Like I don't wake up and just go, oh my goodness, like I just had this vision for this thing and I have to make this a reality in this moment. Like I I don't, and maybe that's just me. Maybe I just don't think that way, but usually my creativity will come out when you give me my camera or give me some sort of thing and I decide this is what I'm going to do in the moment type thing. But I do know people that are truly truly that are, are like the one percenters. And that's what I always, I always try and leave room for the one percenters, you know, like the, <laughs> the people that are truly gifted at something, because I do believe that there is that genetic 1%, you know, whether it's creativity, whether it's, you know, some form of art, whether it's athletics, whatever that is, there's the genetic 1%. And that's what gives you like a LeBron James. But for the rest of us, they're just learn skills. And eventually you can learn the skills so well that you can speak the language fluently and you can walk the walk.
1: Yeah. What's fascinating and interesting to me is the fact that you personally don't feel creative, even though you're one of the most creative people out there. That's interesting, isn't it?
0: What what does it mean to you to feel creative? Because I'm I'm curious, like...
1: Well, that's the thing. I don't feel creative. I don't think I am ultra creative when it comes to wedding photography, but I've had a successful business for over 20 years and people tell me I'm creative, but I feel like... I string together what I know how to do to get the look that I want. But inside, I don't feel creative either. It's strange.
0: No, for sure. That's exactly how I feel. That's weird. How I feel is, you know, I'll go out and I do test shoots once, twice a week. I'll be doing test shoots. And I'm literally just dicking around, Andrew. Like I'm just screwing around. And most of the stuff that I do is garbage, Then when I get onto a real shoot, I take what I did when I was screwing around and I actually put it into practice for things that I did like. And it turns into something that's like, people are like, that blows me away. I would never have thought about that in a million years. And I'm like, I would never have thought of that too. I was just (laughs) dicking around the other day and I was like, I'm going to try something stupid and it just so happened to work out. So that's how it feels to me is like this process of just like, trying things and experimenting and and throwing things at the wall until something sticks and then practicing enough that you can actually do it when called upon.
1: Yeah. See, that to me is still creative. So, how do you feel about seeing an image from another photographer? that Nothing to do with you or your business and you think, wow, that looks amazing. I'm going to try that. Is that okay? Is that okay to do that and then bring it into your business if it works and you like it?
0: Yeah, I love that. I mean, that's literally how everybody... Does it anyway, whether they admit it or not? Everyone's (laughs) doing it already.
1: True, true. You've been hearing a lot from Pi about how to be creative, how to build your brand, how to get known as the go to photographer in your local area, how to create a brand around your business, and that's exactly what today's sponsor can help you with. I'm talking about USB Memory Direct, they create custom usbs that honestly can match whatever you can dream up (laughs) these things really are amazing you have to see them to believe them if you go to their website you'll see usbs in the designs of stiletto shoes lizards slurpees robots and avocado (laughs) like seriously if you can dream it they can make it and when you think of usbs like i used to i think of a rectangle USB with a logo on it. These are so much more. And if you're thinking, well, as a photographer, why, why would I go to supplying USBs to my clients if perhaps you're using online digital delivery? And there's a couple of great reasons why you need to consider using USBs or handing out USBs to your clients after a shoot. I mean, the first thing is we as a collective are always preaching to each other how important it is to be supplying our clients with something tangible, something they can touch. Walla, albums, acrylic blocks, canvases. Like we, <laughs> we preach this week in, week out. We should be supplying our clients with something tangible. So why would we be giving them a link to a digital download that's only going to be available for a certain amount of time when we have the perfect chance to give them something beautiful, something branded, something that reminds them of us and the experience they had with us every time they take it out of the drawer. And they may not take it out of the drawer that often, but anytime they do, they see your brand, they see your logo, they see your design, whatever you've come up with for your USB drive, and they think of you. And you've probably heard the statistic that On average, it takes five to seven impressions for people to remember you and your brand. So just think how easy it is to actually place your brand in the hands of your clients. Anytime they rummage through that drawer next to their computer, where they have the USB drives, there's yours. And it looks different to every other USB drive. Not only does it look different, it's branded with your logo, in your colors, with your design, and they think about you the photos you created and the experience that you delivered when you work with them. That's the beauty of supplying a USB drive as opposed to giving a link to an online gallery. I'd love for you to go and check out USB Memory Direct and you'll even see one of my past guests from the podcast, Tony Hoffer, who has one of his designs on their website. It's a, it's a quirky looking H for Hoffa. in a a lime green that looks nothing like a USB that you've ever seen. And in that article, which I'll link to in the show notes, he says that his clients absolutely love and respond to the simple but beautifully designed USB drive that he gives to each of them. So go and check out USB Memory Direct. You can find them at usbmemorydirect.com. And if you use the code FLASH15, all one word, FLASH15, you can save 15% off your very first order. Well, let me ask you a question that James asked inside my group. The title of his post is Shoot to Sell Versus Taking Risks. And I'll just paraphrase or read a little bit of what he says here. Ever since doing IPS, I love it and I'm incredibly grateful for it, but I'm aware that a lot of the time I'll play it safe to get the shot I need to sell to the couple rather than taking risks. How do you as an artist and a business owner manage this and deal with it? What what would you say to James?
0: Well, that's where my test shoots come in that's where test shoots. That's where style shoots. That's where all those things come in for me is I'm not going to go out, you know, for a client, a typical paying client, I'm not going to go out and on their time, go and mess around. If they have identified to me certain things that they like, then I will go and do those things. And I kind of pull from, you know, if you were to imagine your creative toolkit. Um, and this is the first time I'm going to use this analogy. So hopefully I don't completely screw this up, Andrew, (laughs) but if you were to imagine your creative toolkit is kind of like a buffet, right? If a client is walking into this buffet, they're going to have certain things that they want and certain things that they don't. And I don't think it's a good idea to be picking from other things when they're paying the money to be picking from these other areas and saying, Hey, you should try this. I think you would really like it on their time. Now, When it's your time, when you're doing a test shoot, when you're doing a style shoot, you can kind of pull from this buffet and throw everything that you want on your website, all the things that you want to show. And then new clients will come in. They'll say, hey, I really love that. Old clients will come in and say, hey, let's try this next time. That's where you get to play and refine and kind of stretch your creative boundaries to then work into future shoots, but I don't think that you should be on a shoot with a paying client and be trying to stretch those creative boundaries on someone else's dime.
1: Okay, that's, so that's interesting. So that goes directly against what someone else commented on James's post. They said, "Say to yourself, two for them, one for me, and apply that to the whole coverage. So shoot two for the client and in your regular normal style that you know they're going to love. But shoot one for yourself and be a bit creative." And think outside the box. So that's that's not a good idea in your eyes.
0: Well, what would you do if I gave you five hundred images and one hundred and fifty of them were not ones that you wanted?
1: Yeah, no, but but I, I would trust it. I would say to you, Pi, look, I want you to go crazy here. If you think of an idea that you want to try, try it on our shoot if there is time. You know, put aside ten minutes. Would you be comfortable with that?
0: Oh, one hundred percent. I mean, if it's if it's communicated, that's very different, right? right? So if I've if like, I will have clients that will come and say, this is free reign. We want you to do anything and everything on our shoot.
1: Right. Perfect client.
0: (laughs) By all means, like when a client comes and says that this whole kind of two for you, one for me kind of thing works great. But I also have tons of clients that know exactly what they want. And I would say probably the majority of clients that I work with, these are people that are spending, you know, if they hire me for their wedding, their minimum package is between fifteen to twenty thousand, and usually they go up between like forty to fifty and I'm not gonna on their like they've prepped kind of this hey, this is the look that we want, this is what we want to do and I've got all sorts of trinkets and doodads and all sorts of things I could pull off some crazy stuff, but that's not what they were aiming for, and I don't have that like like they're not the person to be like, "Oh man, that flare is so like I've literally had clients where i i show him this photograph and this is like this is me 7 years ago learning that hey what i think is cool is not necessarily what a client thinks is cool and i take this wicked shot it has this beautiful flare the flare completely highlights the couple i mean it's absolutely just gorgeous and i show it to him and he's like yeah that doesn't work and i'm like what do you mean it doesn't work he's like that flare is way too strong i'm like the flare is like what makes the image he's like no it's it's it doesn't look right. It looks like a major mistake. And I I don't want that photo. And it was okay. This is a humbling moment to be like, (laughs) as a photographer, this was so cool. And my client just said it was garbage. So taking those things into perspective, like, I feel like that two to one rule can get you in trouble in a lot of cases, unless again, you have kind of carte blanche to do whatever you want on the shoot. This has already been discussed. It's already been, you know, they want you to go and play. They want you to, and that does happen from time to time. It's just not my experience. From my experience, it's not the majority.
1: Right. Yeah. I get that. And I know that your clients are going to be different to James's clients, for example, and my clients. But let me take you back to that shot with the amazing flair, which does sound beautiful. Did you delete it? Did it make it into your portfolio? Did it go to your website? Did you use it in an awards somewhere? Well,
0: I use it for myself, for my portfolio. So like as much as, you know, this is the interesting thing of there's differences in running a full studio as opposed to just like kind of shooting for yourself, right? If you're shooting, not, not shooting for yourself, but let's say you're a single owner or maybe your husband or wife is, is your partner. Let's say it's just within the two of you, you know, you can very much define your style as experimental, right? Right. You can say like this all goes to how you design. And one of the big pieces that we help people with in our business training courses is like, how do you design your style, your website, your aesthetic, your messaging to attract the types of clients that you want? Now, maybe you want 100% of your clients to be the you have carte blanche experiment and play then that really belongs in your messaging upfront. It really belongs in the images that you show. It belongs in the words. It belongs in, you know, what you're trying to convey to a client. And then all of your clients will be happy to let you do that. You might be limiting your client base somewhat, but that's the way to kind of have free reign to do whatever it is that you want, right? To Mm -hmm. carry that message from the beginning. But can you imagine trying to teach a team of 30 people just? you know, go out and do whatever the hell you feel like
1: (laughs) nightmare, (laughs) nightmare.
0: Like it, it doesn't work. Like there has to be. So on the lineagers aside, what we created there was we created a framework and I mean, you can call it essentially a formula for a certain look and a style that clients love. So the clients that come to this are not necessarily the same ones. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they cross over. We get the carte blanche ones, right? But most of the clients that come to this come recognizing that this is what I want. It's the same reason that you choose a particular restaurant because you feel a certain way. And then that allows us to create a training system and a framework to teach our shooters how to consistently deliver on that product. Because we don't have to go and say, hey, our product is something experimental. So, Here are 10,000 things you got to learn and, you know, hopefully you pick the right one.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, it wouldn't work in your business model. I totally understand that. But then you said, like you said, you've got those creative sessions to let the photographers play and learn and practice and try new things or, or for yourself. Absolutely. Let's switch gears once more before we run out of time here. TikTok, you look like you've gone all in. Do you see this as a platform that's going to be around for a while and is worthwhile investing time and effort into for the listener?
0: Oh, goodness. Um, First question, is it going to be around for, I don't really know. I never, um I never gauge whether I'm going to, you know, use one of these platforms based on longevity, because I don't think there is such a thing. Like it feels like Facebook, the king of all platforms is kind of dying. You know, each one of these platforms sort of comes and goes. So I think the best way to look at them is kind of like, is this a good place for me to temporarily put some time? Hopefully it'll stay around, but is it a good place that I can put some time to increase my audience and to expand my growth and using those new platforms to kind of help boost your existing platforms? So Instagram and YouTube and whatever other platforms you choose to use. So from that perspective, I think it's absolutely worth putting time in a TikTok. I think it's a great platform Who knows what it will be in five years, but I think with a decent amount of kind of time invested, you can get a really great return on growing your audience. Does that answer it?
1: It does. Absolutely. So when you're thinking about business strategy and TikTok, are you creating content solely for TikTok or you always make sure that you can repurpose it somewhere else? And are you trying to take people from TikTok always to your website or to Instagram or to Facebook or somewhere else? Yeah.
0: So on every, on every TikTok video, I have a call to action. It's a two to three second call to action at the end of the video. That's just, you know, full workshops are my bio, follow me on Instagram and TikTok for more. And that's it. Like that's the call to action. So I was trying to grow very aggressively, you know, at the beginning. And I think I got up to 750,000 people within like three months. A lot of those people started to follow me on Instagram. A lot of them jump into our education. A lot of them went over to our YouTube. So you get a healthy kind of cross-pollination. But for me too, and, and being a systems and frameworks person, I do like to kind of, I like my shoots to be very effective. So I'll have a behind the scenes person and that person is primarily going to be filming uh, 4K wide and will usually tape off the camera so that they know what the vertical crop is. So whenever they're shooting on that 4K wide, we also have a vertical crop within that frame. And then whenever I see something that I'm like, oh, this will work perfectly for TikTok, I actually just have my assistant or I'll just film myself from my phone just to make sure that I have that exact thing that I want. So they're usually the same shoots that we're trying to kind of essentially create all the content for the different platforms. But you do have to cut the content specifically to TikTok. TikTok will translate very well into Instagram Reels, but not so much like you can't really take the same content from YouTube and plug it into TikTok or vice versa. It just doesn't work. Those two audiences are very different. So, but there is a lot of opportunity to kind of bundle them all together.
1: Yeah, got it. Got it. So, for the listener that's running, let's say the majority will have a small business, they're going to be running the business on their own, then it might be a small team. They're already pretty stretched. What's the advice? Is it dabble in TikTok, have a play with it, see if you get some kind of return or just focus on Instagram if that's working for you?
0: You know, I would probably say with each of these platforms, it's a good idea to focus on kind of which one you think is going to work best. That said, I think the Instagram and TikTok blend is a really good one. I think you can pull off both of those without putting that much more time into it. At the beginning, all of these things, they feel like they're going to take a ton of time But once you get good at it and granted, I've been, I've been creating content now for a decade. So I'm getting very quick and efficient with it to the point where, you know, now publishing to TikTok and then to Instagram, like including the edit and the publish is about 20 minutes. So at the beginning expected to be an hour, two hours, you know, per, but as you put more and more time into it and you figure out more effective ways of doing it, you can trim down that time. The key though, is making sure that you understand who it is that you're trying to market to like what people don't realize in trying to grow anything whether it's a website, whether it's a YouTube channel or TikTok is the audience that you're reaching for. So for example, if you are a professional photographer, since we're talking about this, if you're a professional photographer and you're looking for clients that are willing to spend, you know, let's say 2000 bucks on a portrait session, then you really aren't going to be served growing a TikTok channel that is primarily focused on cell phone photography tips. You might be able to get your cell phone photography tips up to, you know, that's primarily what mine is, is cell phone and DSLR photography tips. You might be able to grow that to what I have, like close to a million in a few months, right? But how much of that audience is going to be actually interested in the service that you're offering? So people mismatch goals and purposes when it comes to the content they're creating to the actual clients that are buying something. If I'm creating this, you know, like let's say I'm I'm Sue Bryce, she's one of my friends and an incredible photographer. If I'm Sue Bryce and I have this amazing experience and I want to sell this in-person experience to clients and I want them to come willing to spend, then the way that I would grow TikTok is focusing more so on kind of almost like a holistic, inspirational kind of messaging platform, where if I can put out messages that empower women, that teach people how to pose, that teach people, you know, the things that my clients would actually be interested in, then 50,000 people is far more valuable than a million people who are not interested in actually, you know, buying your services. Yes. If that makes sense.
1: It does. It does totally. So you really have to think about who you're tailoring your content for and make sure you're going to be attracting the right people. Otherwise it's wasted time. It's not invested time.
0: Yeah. And that's the issue that I see happening most often is that photographers are trying to grow these social platforms just for the numbers' sake. And it's like, you could get up to a million people and it's not going to do anything for your business because it's the wrong people. Yeah. So that's the most critical piece there is trying to figure out what it is you're trying to do and making sure that those efforts tie into capturing the audience that is about what you do.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Pi, we've touched and talked quite a bit about the business side of things and also the creative side of being a photographer in business. I know that you have courses and you teach both. Where is the best place for the listener to learn more from you and yeah, get get a lot more info and actually come up with a structured plan on how to implement this stuff?
0: Yeah, so best place for all of our frameworks, which it covers everything, is slrloungeworkshops.com. So slrloungeworkshops.com, I believe... We have a lifetime membership option that's available, I believe, just during the holidays. So that's probably going to be the best option because the courses will take you from knowing nothing about your camera to mastering that plus lighting plus posing. And then when you're ready to launch your business, there's a four course series that walks you through everything with all the documentation, everything you need to run an entire business on it as well. So that's all there at srlaunchworkshops.com
1: fantastic and then for the listener who wants to check out more of your wedding photography work that we've talked about and touched on where should we go for that
0: that's all going to be at lynn and jersa so lynn or on instagram at lynn and Gersa.
1: fantastic pi i've had an absolute pleasure talking to you i'll add links to all those in the show notes and again massive massive thanks for coming on sharing what you have it's been a real pleasure for me so thank you
0: yeah thanks for having me andrew
1: I hope you enjoyed that interview with Pi as much as I did in recording it. I also hope that you like the idea of me adding this interview into the PhotoBizX feed. I'd love to hear your feedback on that approach. Was it a good idea? Was it a bad idea? Should I only put these interviews inside the Photography Experiment feed? Give me your feedback. Let me know your thoughts. Is it easy just to have these popping up in your feed, your regular feed, even though it's not 100% business focused? I really would love to hear your feedback. And if you want to learn more about Pi, his photography business, SLR Lounge, his membership there, I've got links to all those in the show notes for today's episode. And you can find them at photobizx.com forward slash tpx27. That's photobizx.com forward slash tpx27. I've got examples of his work there. I've got links to anything and everything that he mentioned. And I've also got links to USB Memory Direct, who I want to say a massive thanks for coming on and sponsoring today's episode. Without their input, without their support, this podcast episode, this interview would not have been possible. So please go and check them out, usbmemorydirect.com. Use the discount code FLASH15 to get 15% off your first order. And make sure you check out Tony Hoffer's USBs, which you'll see on the website. And I'll also link to them in the show notes. Alrighty, that is it for this episode of the podcast. I'm going to have another episode of the Photography Experiment podcast coming to you in the next week or so. Look out for that one in the PhotoBizX feed unless you give me some feedback saying that you'd much prefer to have it totally separate and on the Photography Experiment feed. And you can give me that feedback inside the members Facebook group or shoot me an email. It's andrew at photobizx.com. Other than that, have a fantastic week. Stay safe and healthy wherever you are in the world and I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now.
0: You've been listening to the Photo Experiment Podcast with Andrew Helmich, brought to you by PhotobizX, the podcast to help you build a successful portrait and wedding photography business. To learn more, head to photobizx.com.